You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Would you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter number 15. Luke 15 in the Scriptures. Now, this is an amazing chapter in the Word of God. We have been talking about uh, family and fathers and men uh, for about three weeks now. And we've, we've kind of challenged uh, very specifically and pointedly uh, our men and our dads and our fathers and grandfathers in our church family. The previous month, we focused on our moms and our ladies and our grandmoms and older ladies mentoring younger ladies. And this month, we've mentioned older men mentoring younger men. And there's lots of work that needs to be done with that, although I believe progress, even as we speak, is being made on a daily and even weekly basis here at Gospel Light along those lines. And we wanted to increase it and get, get even better. But I don't know that there's ever been a, a greater time in our, in our culture to emphasize uh, the importance of, of, of fathers, of dads, of men, recognizing some important things, especially listening maybe to those who have experienced some of the things that we're talking about this morning. And it can make observations not based on what they think might be, but what they know to be, what is real, what has happened. And here we have a story in the, in the Word of God in Luke chapter number 15 that is told by Jesus about very possibly a family who lived in his day. You know, as I think about our families and our responsibilities as parents, let me just stop and say this. It's awesome to be a parent. Amen? Isn't it awesome? I mean, I love it. I have never stopped being in love with being called dad. I, I, I just think that's, that is an awesome thing. And so I preach these messages on family and on parenting and on being a, a, you know, a father like our Heavenly Father with a lot of passion and energy. And sometimes, prayerfully, I'm not, I'm not coming across as abrasive. And if I, if I am, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to, to tame me and to make me gentle and I want to come across with, with grace and truth as I speak about these things. But I also realize it won't be too long before we pass the torch to the next generation. A simple announcement that we make this morning about some kids washing cars outside is not just, a, just a, a, an announcement. Yeah, you know, that's good. Hey, I hope they do good. No, that's something, wow, I want to be a part of that. If my kids, if our church kids are outside and they're washing cars and, and, and raising money for, for a worthy cause, I, I want to I invest in that next generation. I don't have a lot of questions. I don't have to know all the details. I don't have to get a budget of what they're spending it on. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, just, I just, I'm excited that some kids care enough about working to earn some money. I think that's a good value, don't you? And so those little announcements we make, I, I don't take those for granted, knowing that we have over 60 children in our church have been fostered and eight have been adopted. I mean, those announcements involving children and parents, I mean, most of what we talk about in our daily lives has to do with family, has to do with, with, with children. And so parents, as we are running full speed ahead in our lives, and by the way, can I say that I'm running full speed ahead? I mean, it is. It is a, it's busy. And, and life doesn't seem to slow down all that often. When it does, I, I, I cherish those moments. But I feel as if this morning, if you could picture with me a runner, a, ra- a, 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 a parent with a baton racing towards his child as they reach back for that baton to grab it and take it farther than we took it. If you could picture that in your mind for just a moment, I want to hand that baton the very best way that I can. I want to hand that torch with the, with the most strongest values and the and, and the strongest belief system in Scripture that I possibly can, helping our children move from dependence upon their parents to independence and becoming who they are and who God made them to be. And it's not always going to be just like we thought it would be. But then also from, ind- from dependence to independence to dependence upon God, fully trusting Him, having a faith of their own, coming to church not because they are tagging along with mom and dad, but coming because they want to be there. And they are the next generation of leaders and deacons and elders and leaders in our community. Amen. And so with that in mind, I think we need to look at Luke chapter 15 because if you have a Christian home, 
then you're more serious about this than probably anybody else. If you understand Scripture and you read the Bible and you come to church faithfully, prayerfully, you have more hope for your children than most people. Uh, I, would, I would imagine that most of you here today are not tuning me out. Prayerfully, you're tuning the message in. You're here because you, you want to know, uh, how, how can I be a better father? How, how can I be more like my heavenly father? What, what, is, what can I learn this morning that would help me to, to, to step it up a notch and to help pass the torch on to the next generation? What's interesting about the story in Luke chapter 15 is Charles Dickens called this story the finest short story ever written. And I would have to agree. Here's a story of a family that Jesus told us about, and it illustrates so much truth. There's, there's, there's I'm sure, a hundred different sermon outlines from the story, the parable of the prodigal son. And this morning, here's another outline. It's the story of a family like many here today. It's a story of a family that had two boys, and both of these boys were, kind of had a tough time growing up. I think teenagers, when they become Young adults, they have a tough time sometimes growing up, regardless if they're in a Christian home or not. It's not always easy growing up, going from dependence to independence. I think all of my boys, and even Chloe, has had a tough time with that. I mean, we've experienced in our own family the difficulty of depending on mom and dad for everything and becoming more independent and dependent upon God. This week, Zoe had his first major car repair. I mean, like major. And so he called me up. He said, hey, Pop, Dad. He said, I just, I'm about to bring it in, but now, now it's $1,200 to get this work done. And, and so I, I, I immediately became Dad. I said, all right, son, I'll, go, I'll tell you what, let me go in half with you. I'll do six, you do 600. Man, I, I, I was shocked at his response. But he's 22, and he's got a little girlfriend here, maybe more than that. I don't know. We'll see. He said, Dad, you know, I think I got it. I about dropped the phone and, and fainted. I mean, I just offered my son $600 to help him with a, his first major car repair. And he said, I mean, he paused. It wasn't quick. I don't know if he was praying. I'm not sure what was going on. Checking his account. I don't know what was happening. But you know what I sensed in that moment on the phone call this week? I'm going from dependence to more independence, more responsibility. And in that moment, I sensed he was depending on God to provide the needs because there are going to be many needs in his life. And, and of course, dad wants to still be dad, and I still got the 600 if you change your mind. But as we read this story, we see one of them in the story of the prodigal son had a very active period of rebellion. And then we read about the other son who, though he still struggled with rebellion, it was more passive than active. Both of these sons, no doubt, suffered, and certainly their parents suffered as well as they took this journey from dependence to independence. And I find it interesting that in the lives of these two boys, we have illustrations of the extremity of rebellion, how that sometimes it's easy to see it, and sometimes it's more difficult. Sometimes it's more hostile, and sometimes it's more hidden. In fact, in the life of the younger son, we have what we're going to call more of a hostile rebellion. It was obvious. It was open. It was, it was easy to detect. It was open. It was in his parents' face. But then in the life of the older boy, we have what's hidden rebellion. Both rebellion, both resistance towards mom and dad. And you know, it's often sometimes, at least I have found in parenting, let me encourage you, it's often in between hostile uh, and hidden rebellion that we find all of our kids. That's where all of them are at. I've experienced more of the hostile rebellion in one of my children, and I've experienced more of the hidden rebellion. And I think all of my children have find, found themselves somewhere in that place along the way of going from dependence to more independence to obviously depending more upon God. And so we hope and we pray as parents that they'll make it through these tough times, don't we? I know I have. And I'm still praying. And I'm already praying for my grandkids. God, I know that round two is coming, and I hope I can live through it and be a part of the, 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 the training of them. But there's a transition here, and we pray that this transition will, will, will not be as destructive as it could be. 
And I've seen it in pastoring a church for 30 years. I've seen seen this transition be very destructive. And perhaps even to parents who have, in the midst of seeing their kids walk away from church, walked away themselves. And find it easier to golf on Sundays or go to the lake or maybe work that extra job than to come to church without their children. And so as this gradual pulling away from parents takes place, and and by the way, again, let me reiterate, this process can be painful, okay? It's not easy. But as this gradual pulling away happens, I want us this morning to begin with this thought, that if we're not careful as parents, we can be discouraging rather than encouraging, and it makes it more difficult than it already is. And so I'm praying this morning that at the end of the message, we'll be looking as parents and grandparents and even church members to find ways to be more encouraging to the next generation that we're passing this torch to without compromising our beliefs and our values. So let's go to the story, shall we? In this story, the younger son wanted to be free of the accountability of his father. And I'm just going to quickly go through the story and 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 you follow along with me. I'll make some comments along the way. But on the screen, we're going to have verses 11 through verses 17. And I'm going to just kind of talk just for a moment about this, this son who was rebellious, hostile rebellion, pulling away from his dad. And look at it with me. He said, there was a man who had two sons, Jesus said. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give Me, the share of property that is coming to me. Now, just just that statement there, do you hear the cold and callous voice of a son looking at his dad and saying, Dad, basically, when you die, I'm going to get it anyway, so just give it to me now. That's what I'm hearing. It must have been hard for dad to hear that. The father complied. Kind of interesting, isn't it? wasn't necessarily uncommon for sons in these days to get their inheritance before the death of the father, but probably not with the son asking for it like this. But the Bible says he divided his property between them. So he received his inheritance. He got what was coming to him. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey. It's interesting here that the Bible says he took this journey into a far country. He went as far away as he could. He wanted to be as independent as he could from his parents. St. Augustine says that the far country is more than a geographic term, but it is a symbol for forgetfulness of God. The far country is far in many directions. It is far in motives as well as in miles. Wow. He goes into this far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. He parties and he, he gets prostitutes involved and he's, he's just living his life in a reckless way and doing what he wants to do and spending the money as if it, it just didn't matter. And then he spends everything. And when he spends everything, the Bible says that a severe famine arose in that country. And when a famine arises, obviously food prices escalate and, and, and he, the boy was not able to even have the money to to pay for food, to stay alive. And so he begins to be in need. And so he tries to get somebody to hire him, and he finds somebody to hire him, and this gentleman owns pigs. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the field to feed the pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So here is this boy, picture with me, he's in rebellion, he's in a pig pen, and the Bible says he surveys the situation, he processes everything going, that's going on, he thinks deeply about the situation he's in, and look at verse 17, as a result of that, he comes to himself. It's like, wait a minute. In other words, that that means he comes into his right mind. He left his insanity. He began to think about his awful situation. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. And then he decides to go home and get things right. Man, this is is getting good. 
So here this rebellious son decides to get things right with his, with his parents, his dad especially. Luke 15, look at verse 18. His rebellion comes full circle and he goes home and he says, I'll go to my father. He rehearses what he's going to say. I think what I'll say is this. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And I don't think he was done yet. I think there was much more he could have said. But the father interrupts him. He rises, he comes to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and runs towards him and embraces him and kisses him. And his son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer to be called your son. And his father says, let's get the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The younger son was home, and the celebration began. But something else was taking place. Oftentimes, that's the end of the story. And many times that I've heard this text preached, and I've enjoyed these messages, but but oftentimes, this part of the story is left out. But there's more to the story. It's the story of the older son. Look at verse 25. I'll just read this passage of Scripture now this, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to the older son, oh, your brother's come home. And your father, he's so excited. He's killed the fatted calf. He's, he's received him back safe and sound. His response was, he was angry. He refused to go in. Though he was invited to go, he refused to go. His father comes out and and entreats him and says, Son, come on in and celebrate with us. And he answers his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I would celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, the older brother refused to call the younger brother by name. He was so angry. He was rebellious inwardly. This son of yours, he's devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him? And the dad responds, son, you're always with me. You've you've always been in the family. And and you've always been mine. And and, and everything that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate, though. This, This is the right thing to do because... Your brother was lost, and he's found. Your brother was dead, and now he's alive. Now, to transition the message, I want you to look at two observations very carefully with me in the story. And they're in your notes, and as you begin filling in these blanks, I want you to pay close attention and think with me about these two observations. Take a moment and meditate. First of all, the first observation is the, pa- the picture of the younger son teaches us something. It teaches us that you can be outwardly rebellious and at the same time have a very tender heart towards your family. Think with me for just a moment. Here was the younger son who took the inheritance of his father and spent it recklessly on all of these awful things, but at the same time, he was gone. His father was never far from his mind. In fact, first of all, He was spending his father's money, and I'm sure every time he pulled money out of his pocket, it was so fresh on his mind that this is dad's money, and I'm wasting it. And when he got into dire straits, he had nowhere to turn. What did that son do? No, he knew his father would never turn his back on him. He knew his father would never give up on him. He knew his dad would be there for him when he returned. But on the other hand, we, we have the picture of the older son who illustrates the fact that you can be very close to your parents and yet at the same time be very far away. Now what's interesting here is there's a little phrase in verse 12 that's often missed in the story. I want you to look at verse 12 again with me and it's just a little tidbit of information. It's not much, but notice it. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. He divides his property between them. Both sons got their inheritance at the same time. 
It's just interesting to note that both of them did that. The older son had also gotten his inheritance. And if you go back and study the laws of the trustee of the Jewish people or of the Jewish family, the Jewish person, if you do that in Leviticus, in a situation like this, the older son would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son would have gotten one-third of the inheritance. So at the same time that the younger son was wasting his third of the inheritance, the older son had his money too. And he could have enjoyed it or probably was enjoying some of it, investing it or, or whatever. The older son on the outside was righteous. But in reality, it was all a show. The oldest son lived at home, but his heart was not the heart of the father. And the heart of the father would have been a heart of compassion and a heart of forgiveness. But the oldest son was filled with jealousy and anger and hatred. And this morning, I feel as if it's worthy to say and, and, and right to say that so many people being raised in Christian homes may appear to be outwardly okay. And not rebellious. And yet they're very far away. I've seen so many young people know how to put on the right face, even my own kids. Know how to put on the right face and say the right things and and, and the right words. But be very far away. In this story, we have an example of hostile rebellion and hidden rebellion. One boy was far away, but in essence very close. And one boy was very close, but in essence, very far away. We know what happened to the first boy. (laughs) He rebelled and came back home, but we really don't know what happened to the second son. The Bible doesn't tell us. He, he, He could have stayed away his entire life, and we don't know if he ever really got things right. You know, I've learned something in 30 years of pastoring, and I often think this is true. That sometimes the open rebellion that is so painful for a short time is almost better than the long, hidden, inward rebellion that is not recognizable. I've told you this story to provide just a platform for some practical things that I want to share with you. And these are very practical, but I I want to share these things with our dads. I want our fathers to hear this, our grandfathers to, to consider these things, just simple observations. But first, I want to say this. Please don't think that I think it's necessary for children to go through a painful period of rebellion. I don't think it's necessary. I do. I don't. I do think that teenagers are going to come to a place in their lives where they are going to rethink the values and other things about their families. I think all of mine have. All of mine are at church today. All of three of them are in ministry, and one of them is in college. One, of course, is uh, our special needs daughter, but... I I think I can speak as a dad for all of them that there have been times when they have taken a moment or gone through a season where they had to rethink some of the values. Again, from dependence to independence, as, as they've determined to become dependent upon God, are these going to be my values and my convictions and not just my dad's? I think every child will do that. And and that can be kind of scary. And that's sometimes where we we struggle as parents. My observation has been that in Christian homes, it is often more traumatic when we come to that place. And I think that's because sometimes in the process of helping our children become adults, we make some mistakes in that process that causes more pain than would normally have to be caused, and thus these observations. And so I'd like to ask my three boys to come to the platform, grab one of those chairs, and I'm going to give you a mic, and I'm going to ask them to help me just so that you get full disclosure, so that you can, can get a picture and a glimpse of your pastor's heart and his family's heart. And so many have asked me, you know, it's funny, I would never do this. I, I just don't, I, I don't feel like, uh, I'll tell you why I won't do it in a minute. But people have said, hey, would you ever write a book on raising kids? Can I tell you? If I wrote a book, you know, all they do is say, dad, why didn't you do that? <laughs> well, why, why, why? So, listen, you're not looking at the perfect parent. One of the most difficult things for anybody to do is to write a book and, and then to live everything that you've done. By the way, there's no way you can live everything that you've done, and that's part of parenting, realizing that things are not going to always be like you want them to be, even yourself. We all make mistakes. And so I'm going to give you these observations, and at some point I'll, I'll have the boys step up, and I've got them all 
divided into different parts of the observations and prayerfully they won't take too long. We've kind of rehearsed a little bit and they've been praying and we've been working on this for a few days. My first observation, and again, these are just observations from my own parenting, so it's safe. But I do want to add this to that, that also some of these observations come from 30 years of counseling families. And so whatever experience, 30 years of having moms and dads in my office or at a coffee break or something, talking to them over 30 years about raising children or families or the situation they're in, some of these observations are mingled with my experiences as a parent raising five children, but more specifically three boys, first of all. We can often encourage rebellion in our kids by insisting that our children do everything exactly like we do. I'm I'm just going to repeat each one because I think the observation is important that we really think on it because some of them are a little bit close. We encourage rebellion in our kids by insisting that our children do everything exactly like we do. Let me go back to the idea that we all have values and convictions, and we do. And by the way, I I have a lot of values and convictions and even beliefs. But what I've learned is that my children may live those out differently than I lived them out. I'm reminded of a wonderful story. It's it's kind of funny. It's a story of a a young wife who for years had cut the end of a ham off before she cooked it and put it in the oven. And that piece of ham had some really good meat on it. And her husband for years would watch her do that and finally just thought, man, I can't watch this anymore. So he says, honey, could I ask you a question? Why do you cut the end of the ham off every time that you cook a ham and throw it in the trash can? I'm just asking because it looks like it's got some really good meat on it. She paused and thought and said, oh, no, I just, my mom always did it this way. So I guess we need to ask her. So that next week they had dinner with mom and they said, you know, we've been kind of wondering about something for years. I've cut the end of the ham off like you did, mom, and, and, and before I put it in the oven. And I was just curious, mom, why, why do you do it? I said, man, you know, I, oh, no. <laughs> I just did it because my mom did it. So, well, now it's grandma. And if this was the case, we'd still have a grandma to ask because here she is in the front row. And so we go to grandma and we say, grandma or mom, we've cut the end at generations now. We're cutting the end off of a ham and throwing it away. Why do you do it? She said, oh, that's easy. My oven's so small that I have to cut the end of the ham off to get it in the oven. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that story is applicable to understanding what I mean by this first point. Sometimes we have values and convictions and beliefs, but as generations pass and things look just a little bit different than they did in the past generation, and sometimes, if we're not careful, I know this for me, is that we end up looking even at a particular profession that we have that we expect our kids, maybe it's a business we own, and we just expect our kids to own the business, or maybe it's ministry, and we just kind of expect our kids are going to do what we did, or maybe it's I'm a doctor, so my kids are going to become a doctor, and we, without even realizing it, we just automatically kind of have these expectations that our kids are going to do things exactly like we did. And so Joe's speaking to this a little bit as my son and how that has looked for us. Yeah, um, I I thought it's interesting too, this observation. It's really true not just for kids, it's really true for humanity and humans in general. You think about it, even just what's gone on this week, when people are insisted or told what to do, the other side, they they, they rebel. They they feel like, this is wrong, this is not for me, this is hateful, this isn't, and they rebel against it, even if it's the right thing. And so, it's an interesting observation, but I would even go further and say, this is actually a good principle just in general, but in our life, you know, specifically in, in, in the Capaci household, for me, I think everyone sort of knows, even through different sermons, I've always been probably the more out, different one, dress-wise or hair-wise. I know, I don't know if he's going to show that picture not or not. later, yeah. Later, but yeah, like, I had long hair for a while, and dad does not have long hair. Um, <laughs> and uh, so things like just the way that I outwardly looked and things, that would be, always be something that dad would 
I, he didn't really like it, but he would never insisted that I be just like him in those ways. Um, even like, again, he talked about professions and things like that. We've never been pressured to be anything other than what we, what we, what we were thinking about. And so, but one thing is cool with, with, again, this isn't like a, I guess a individual thing, but, um, Whenever he, you know, that, that, he always asked questions, though, about why we did what we did, which was very helpful because it opened up that communication. And so I think that was probably the biggest thing for us that resisted the rebellion, even though maybe sometimes it could look like rebellion to dad. He would always ask the questions about why I did what I did, and we were able to discuss that, and he probably realized, oh, this isn't rebellion. This is just what he likes. This is just different than me, and things like that. Um, it actually sort of culminates, I think, to when I, when I finally— met Tiffany and decided that we were going to get married, and that was something that dad was not for, and something he did insist, if you will, that he was a little worried about it and got, got a little bit intense with me about it, and I think that was the coolest part, and this is the, where Grace steps in and God steps in, and he had spent 24 years raising me and teaching me and loving me and, over, and, and unlimited you know, amounts of love with, yes, some rules, but because he loved me so much, I was able, and raised me in the right way, I was able to make a wise decision, even though it looked like rebellion to him, he's like, you're making a decision opposite of what I want. And it ended up being because he raised me and loved me to make a decision, not because I was making decisions, because I was trying to actually, I was, I was following what God was telling me to do. And it's interesting that, you know, that happens with, with parenting, even that's where God is so good to give us that grace, even when, you know, we, we all mess up. And so we all make a mistake and we all insist on what we want in our kids sometimes, but God covers that with grace because he's awesome. Awesome. That's good. Thank you, son. So much more we could say about that, but I, I think our children need to seek the will of God for themselves. I think that kind of sums it all up. Our, it doesn't mean we don't have input, but let's allow our children to seek the will of God for themselves. It's going to be different. And I see, I've seen rebellion happen because a child thinks it's the only way to escape being swept away into conformity. And so they just rebel because they don't see any way out. I'm not going to be, my, my, my parents aren't going to be happy with me unless I do this. So guess what? I'm, I'm going to run. And I think that's what we need to be aware of. I'm not saying that our children shouldn't believe as we do or hold to the values that we hold to. I'm just simply saying we encourage rebellion in our kids by insisting that they do everything exactly the way that we do. Number two We encourage rebellion by intimidating our children with God and the Bible. I want to be careful as I speak about this one because I think it's harmful to use God and the Bible to control our kids and force them into conformity. Now, obviously, we need to respect God's Word and and respect God, and and He needs to be preeminent in our homes. But I think there's, there's something here that's very important. The Bible should never be used as a club to beat our children into submission with. I read a quote on a plaque years ago, and I was in Amish country, and never forget this plaque. that I, It was almost in every Amish uh, store that we went to. Say nothing you would not want to be saying when Jesus comes. Do nothing you would not want to be doing when Jesus comes. Be nowhere you would not want to be when Jesus comes. Now, if you grew up at a home like that, how do you think you'd feel about Jesus coming? Think about it. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to be taking a shower when Jesus comes, but I'm not against taking a shower. You know what I mean? And so sometimes I think we, we think that, that guilting someone with Scripture into doing something or complying to what we believe, we don't have to have a verse for everything we say. Sometimes... It's best just to talk to our kids about things that we've learned, and we know they're in Scripture, but we don't have to beat them over the head with Scripture. We need to be careful. So I wanted Mo to say a word about this one. So uh, I think the key word in this, uh, this point here is the word intimidating. And, uh, you know, that word intimidate means to, to make someone timid uh, by a threat or an action, thus intimidating. Intimidating. And that's what I think I've seen so many times in my lifetime with my friends uh, and other people, just young people who I've ministered to as a student pastor. And so many people I see don't love God's word. They're, they, in fact, many times they, they 
are either, you know, anti God's word or they're, you know, they push it away because they've been intimidated with it. The Bible's been used as a weapon instead of being taught to love God's word. And that's what my challenge is for you parents today, and not just parents, but for everybody in here, is to understand the fact that, you know, yes, we teach God's word, and we want to hopefully one day be like David when in Psalms 119, he talks about how he loves his law, he meditates on it day and night. And he even goes as far as to say it's like honey to his mouth. It's actually sweeter than honey to his mouth. And that's something that I, as a parent, am trying to do because it's something that I was raised to do is, first of all, teach your kids to love God's word. Don't intimidate them with it. Teach them to love it. And trust me, if you love God's word, you obey what you love. You do what you love. You, you practice what you love. Kids, do you have to talk your kids into playing video games? Do you have to talk them into playing sports? Do you have to talk? When they love something, they do it because they love it. And if you'll teach your children to just love God's word, they will do it. And I'm going to encourage you also to pray for your children to love God's word. And that honestly might be more important than the teaching part. Because when we pray for our kids to love God's word, they, God will hear that. And there's nothing more that God wants is than his children to love God's word. And so don't intimidate your children with God's word. Teach them to love it and pray for them to love it. And it'll change your life, but it'll also change your kids' lives as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Mo. It reminds me of a story of uh, another quick story of a, of a lady who was having a Bible study in her neighborhood. And she invited all the ladies in the neighborhood to come to the Bible study. And she's having this serious Bible study. She's getting into it. And all of a sudden, her little son, Johnny, runs into the, into the middle of the Bible study. He says, Mama, Mama, there's a, there's a lion in the backyard. She says, What? Mom, I'm serious. There's a lion in the backyard. And the mother says, Johnny, there's no lion in the backyard. She didn't live in lion country. She's like, what are you talking about? And he said, no, I'm serious, Mom. And she wouldn't let go. So she stands up, looks out in the backyard, and sees the biggest, fluffiest yellow cat you've ever seen in your life. She is mad. She comes back in the middle of that Bible study with all those ladies, and she says, Johnny, you're going to go up to your room right now, and you're going to think about what you've done. And then she thought as she had a captive audience of all these ladies in this Bible study, she said, and Johnny, you're going to tell God what you did. She got back in the middle of that Bible study. She heard Johnny's door slam. But five minutes later, he's right back down in the middle of the Bible study. He's all acting like nothing's wrong. And one of the ladies kind of felt impressed to ask him. So she said, Johnny, did you think about what you've done? He said, yes, ma'am. Did you tell God what you did? Yes, ma'am. What did God say? Well, God said the first time he saw that cat, he thought it was a lion too. <laughs> you know, I think that's exactly what that crowd deserved. Is a smart like little kid kind of humbling them because that's not the way you handle it. It's just an illustration. It's a story. Probably never happened. But how often does it happen in our lives if we're not careful? We can intimidate with truth and with the word of God. Be very careful. And then next, number three, we encourage rebellion by interpreting each child's behavior in exactly the same way. This past week, I had a conversation with a young lady who is so distant from her father because she says, I just know he, he, he loves my older sister way more than he loves me. I didn't even know her dad. I could, I could not... I could not help her her in that way except for to encourage her. I didn't know the whole situation. But just the fact that she said that her dad loves her sister more than he loves her was devastating. She said, my parents never really understood that I'm not her. I'm me. I can't be her. And her frustration was heartbreaking. When a child grows up as always being compared to somebody else, especially in the family, and always falling short next to that standard, often hostile or hidden rebellion will take place. The Bible has a wonderful principle in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. I love that. And just forget about the rest of the verse for just a minute and pay close attention to the part of the verse that says, in the way he should go. Every child has a very specific way. It's not the same for every child. It's different. All right, Zoe, you're up. So, think about this. Uh, he's been passing this church. Are you on? He's been passing this church for 
30 years. I'm only 22. So I grew up, obviously, a pastor kids my whole life. By the time I was junior high, Mo was my youth pastor, my coach, and my teacher. Joe was the worship pastor at the time. Chloe is obviously, like, the most talented person in the world, just like my dad. And then you have Glorian. I mean, it was the pressure for me that my intentions, my desires, my abilities musically, speaking, all that stuff wasn't, in my mind, the way they were doing it. Um, it was a lot of pressure, and it was, it was something that I struggled with uh, internally and something that I pushed me in a way to get away. My desires were to do things by myself. My desire was to do things elsewhere, to make my own name in the city, uh, not Hot Springs, you know, something like that. And it was something that there were times where he probably didn't do the best job. Like, he might have come across the wrong way. But for the most part, and I think this is where, the, you know, the grace comes in, but he always encouraged me in my desires and always talked to me about them and always uh, worked with them. And eventually, my desires, I saw what, you know, they weren't doing, pushing me the right way. They weren't going to lead me to the things that I wanted to do. And eventually... Now I'm basically doing what Mo's doing. So it, it, it worked as funny. It, it didn't always work out like that, you know. But the point is that whenever I was hidden rebellion in a sense, doing something that wouldn't be considered what they were doing and what maybe he even desired for me to do, you know, my, my, my idols, my, my goals, my dreams were something that maybe he thought, okay, that's a little immature. That's something that isn't something going to be valuable for the rest of your life, you know, or, you know, not wise, kind of stupid. Um, he didn't just flat out say it. He didn't flat out uh, demean me. I mean, well, yeah, a lot of, especially with Mo being, in, you know, my leader in a lot of th- areas, we had a lot of conversations about why does he do this and why do I do this? And he would always take his side. And I always be like, Dad, you love Mo more than anyone. Mo's this, Mo's perfect, Mo's got this. And I would, I would get so, so frustrated because Mo was this golden child, even though he's had his, you know, he's had his issues. His issues. Um, but, like, it was, that, that was my feeling. Again, was it valid? Maybe a little bit, probably not, but that's how I felt. And, uh, but what he did, though, was that he encouraged and kind of guided me along, kind of just, you know, let me make the decision for my own. And now, now, now that I made the decision to do what I'm doing now, being able to be a coach and be able to teach, is something that I'm so sure in. I'm so excited than I would be if it was like, all right, Zoe, before you, once you go to college, you're going to do this, and then you're going to graduate, and then you're going to do this, and then it's going to, all of the things that, our family is uh, built into this, this church and this ministry is not because he's made us do it. It's because he's just guided us along. And slowly but surely, we've made it like, man, this is something special. And I think you all know that too. That's good, Joe. Thank you. I appreciate so much the honesty and transparency. You know, I have five children. They're all totally unique and different. I thought I'd throw a few pictures on the screen. Here's, here's Mo. He's always been like that. See that face? That's just Mo. That's who he is. Totally uniquely different. And then you've got uh, Joe. Remember the long hair? There's Joe, my hippie son. There he is. Yeah, and uh, leading worship at Teen River. That was the scariest time of my life, I'll be honest. I, I, I thought everybody thought I was nuts. And come to find out, nobody thought I was nuts. And then there's Zoe, you know, crazy Zoe, wearing his LeBron jersey, still wearing his LeBron jersey. And uh, you said, did you like those braids he had? I hated those braids. He knows I hated those braids. But you know what? Who cares? Who cares? I told him more often than I told him I didn't really like him. I said, sometimes I wish I could have him. You know? <laughs> and then we'd laugh. And then we'd laugh. And then there's, uh, there's Chloe. That's just who Chloe is. I don't know. How, somebody, what, what kind of picture do you put up of Chloe? I don't know. Just that's who she is. I, I, I can't even explain it. And then Glorianne. I got to play this clip of Glorianne. It's crazy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm out for days. Thank you. You're welcome. That's good enough. You hear saying thank you, thank you, thank you. What does Glorianne say now all the time? Thank you. That's just Glorianne. She is so sick right now. We had to change her diaper like 15 times last night. And all the time we're changing it, all she said over and over again was, thank you, thank you. She's so thankful. And it convicts me every time. I would, I just, I am not like that. I need to be. Number four, we encourage rebellion by ignoring our children while we pursue other objectives. Boy, this is tough, because this one hits me right in the face. I am, this is me. We're so busy, and our kids are only in our home for a season. 
We live in a world that says you have to have toys and things and possessions and materialism. And somehow, dads, we've got to break that cycle. We've got to break it. When a child grows up in a family and he never sees his parent ever make a decision on his or her behalf over their own personal career objectives, that child will almost always develop an inward anger towards his parents because that child knows that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I know you can't always do it, and I'm not always able to do it, but sometimes our kids need to see something that's very important to us pushed aside for them. Now, we're almost done. I'm going to let Zoe say another word about that one real quick. It's funny. I just wrote this note for my dad for Father's Day, and then he read it, and then he was like, oh, this might be worked perfectly for the sermon. And you guys, as many of you probably are acquainted with and understand, he's probably one of the most busy people you guys know, um, workaholic type situation. Um, so let me read this, and then we'll uh, finish it. I should have said this earlier, but wow. Thank you for driving for all of my college basketball games these past four years. I doubt any other player in the country can say that their dad did what mine did. I know it wasn't exactly what we had in mind for my career, but I wouldn't trade it. I honestly felt bad. I couldn't have done more while out there on the court. But honestly, I gave it my all. I can tell you that. I'm being serious when I say I wonder if I would have been able to make it through all the way if you weren't literally right there supporting me all the way. And Chloe, of course. Thank you so much for that. Um, I can honestly say that you driving for the bus for four years during a lot of rough spots is something special you and I will forever share. Um, so basically, the last four years, I played college basketball at Champion. And first year, uh, registered, uh, basically. But he still drove for many of the games, wasn't even playing, was still supporting. Obviously, he loves the college, but, I mean, he's not going to do it if, for no reason. Uh, second year was a rough year for me. I was, I was trying to play, wasn't able to do it. Dove every single game, didn't play one second, basically. The next year, you know, a little better. Um, uh, Mo was that, at the year, time was Mo was my coach, and then this year. And, but for every single year, through the, the ups and the downs, uh, he drove me. And it wasn't like something that he was doing to be in control. And, uh, and he never, I mean, there was times where he talked to Mo, but it wasn't like he was controlling Mo, you know, either. It wasn't like, you need to do this. You need, I mean, Mo's the coach. He's in charge. Um, and there was, there was so many things where... Uh, you know, we had conversations where after games I might be sad, I might complain, or, you know, oh, good, good game, son. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for doing this and encourage me in different things. But a lot of times it would, I'm taking a nap. You know, I'm sleeping before the game, or I'm eating, or, or I'm hanging out with my, other, my teammates. It wasn't like he was, we were just one-on-one time the whole time, but it was that he was there. And knowing that it was a sacrifice. Uh, I think there's so many times where uh, I see men in general, but especially dads, they use the excuse of, I do this for my family. Um, I, I'm, I'm, getting this promo- I'm working hard to get this promotion, to get this extra paycheck, to get this other, uh, you know, whatever status um, as, a, as a disguise for what, what it really is. It's just their selfishness. It's, it's we, want, we want to have a, a higher ranking. We want our friends to see us this way. We th- maybe even think that providing more things for our children is going to make them happier. Um, I can personally attest to say that as, as a child, your time is more valuable than your finances, you know. So skip that round of golf. Skip that um, extra shift. Skip that whatever, that business meeting. Again, you have to do what you got to do. But there's that little extra time where it's either this or this. Choose your kid, I would say. And, you know, Dad, uh, Dad isn't this perfect human. And uh, I know that many of us, um, many of you guys don't know this, but back in the day, uh, when I was younger, Joe and I really were the only two really experienced this to the full extent, but dad was pretty popular amongst a certain movement of Christianity, uh, called the IFB movement, the independent fundamental Baptist. And he traveled a lot. Um, he, I remember one year in particular, uh, dad traveled 257 days. I counted, uh, 257 days out of the year. And it was tough on Joe and I. And uh, we, you know, I cry about it often just be, whenever I tell the story just because it means so much. Um, but he traveled 257 times, uh, days out of the year, and we barely got to see him. And when he was home, he wasn't with us. Um, you know, he had to run the church and the college. Uh, but, but one year he had somebody, one of his pastor friends and mentors, tell him you're going to lose your kids. And uh, he said, you got to quit traveling as much. And... Uh, 
this is hard for a man to do, I know, for me, just being a man now, and many of you guys out there, you have a job, and you, you, you um, desire that promotion, you desire that fame, that extra money, um, and, and dad was providing, it wasn't that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do as a dad in that sense, but that next year, I remember he canceled every single meeting he had, and a lot of people were mad at him. You know, I can't believe you're not coming, Eric. You know, you've been coming for 10, 12 years. I can't believe you'd quit this. You know, this is going to be an important meeting. There's going to be 2,000, 10,000 people at the meeting. I can't believe you'd cancel it. And I cannot tell you how much that meant to, I know Joe and I as young kids, uh, that their dad would cancel all that. Would cancel everything and just say, you know what, I'm going to spend that extra time with you. And dads, I can't tell you enough how much it means, you know, more than... The only two things that probably mean more than this would be the fact that he loves God and his love for my mom and his loyalty to my mom. But outside of those two things, the most, thing, the most important thing that my dad ever did for me was give me time. And I can't challenge you guys enough. Don't, don't lose this opportunity. And you may say, well, my kid's older and he's grown up. It's not too late. We, my, my dad and I still have date nights. Okay? We're, and I know that may sound weird to some of you guys, but we, he gives me his time, and that's so important. And I don't want to miss that for my kids as well. And so it's so important. So I want to challenge you guys. Don't ignore your kids. It could mean even this. Maybe it's not your job, but it's on your phone. It could be TV. You know, you're tired when you get home. But the real job starts when you get home, dads. That's when the real job starts. And so don't miss out the opportunities. Awesome. Number five, we encourage rebellion in our children by instructing our children to do what we are not doing. And this may be the most devastating one of all. It's tough for me to say this because... Think about it. I got to stand up here in front of the church and preach this stuff. And then I've got to go home and try to live it. And I don't always do it. So I can tell you, I have definitely missed the mark for sure on all of these, but specifically number five, because I've not always done as I've instructed my children to do. And for that, I have some regrets, but I'm thankful that I can stand here today and, and say that Dads, if we say we believe in God, then let's let our lives be fruit. Of, prove that. Let, if we say we believe in God, let's be in church. Let's not be on the golf course on Sunday morning. If we say we believe in God and love him with all of our hearts, let's prioritize devotions in our homes and prioritize church and small group. If we say we believe in God, then I think we dads are responsible that our lives reflect what we say. And if we don't, it could be a tragedy. doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean when we mess up, we're going to say, you know what? I messed up. I'm sorry. I was off there. Please forgive me. Let, I can't tell you how many times I would preach about having devotions, and I'd do it for a while, and then we'd have a little, a little time where we didn't do it. And my wife would say, you know, a few months ago you preached uh, we should have devotions, and we hadn't had one in a couple of weeks. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry. I'll let Joe finish this off. Yeah, I was just going to say, for dad specifically, but obviously being in the pastor, it's sort of built in. It's like a blessing and a curse. You know, he'd have the, the pressure of being, being, having to preach up here, and we're, we're sitting in the crowd, knowing, him knowing that we know, okay, he's, he ain't telling the truth on that one. We haven't done that. We haven't done the devotions this week or whatever. But then also the blessing of, him having the study, the preparation time to say, okay, I'm going to say this in the pulpit. I'm going to say this in front of my kids, in front of all of you, and I better make sure I'm doing what I say I, I, I want, our, our church needs to do, Christians need to do. And so that was the blessing and the curse. And so I remember, yeah, several times it'd be, I'm sorry, which is extremely, extremely important. And really, I think that's the, that's the key because we all fall short. Like I said, great, that's where grace comes in. That's where transparency and realness is is vital if you don't have that and it's that's when hip, hip, hypocrisy becomes real is when you don't say i'm sorry um you have to just admit your failures but also those times where you know he'd be prepping and like i said we do want to instruct our kids we don't want to not instruct our kids because we're not doing what we say we want them to do so just ignore them and not say anything we need to step up and we need to take that time to prepare to to be ready to be in the word so that we can teach our kids and then follow up by doing what we're saying uh we want to teach our kids um, it's so vitally important, like I said. That at the end of the day, though, it is it is true. I, it, we're never going to be perfect at at this as dads, and um, doing what we say we want our kids to do, we're going to fall short. And so, like I said, that's where transparency, 
I'm sorry is, is probably the most important words we can say as dads because, like Mo said, just when he, when he canceled those meetings and did what he said he was sorry for, essentially, that changed everything for, for us and for our family. And so just being, a, being man enough to admit your, when you say, tell your kids to do something, and your kids will tell you, too. That's what's crazy. I know <laughs> mine do. Dad, you said this, and you're not, you're, you know, you didn't, you didn't do that. And so instead of, a lot of times that rebellion in us steps up, and we're like, well, because we have good excuses. But instead, just saying, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I want to do better at that. That'll change the world for your kids and for your family, and it, it'll, it'll mean a lot. Thanks, boys. Didn't they do good? Did you do great? Thanks, man. You guys can take the, yeah. Good boys. Worship team can come up. We'll, we'll, I know we've taken a little extra time in this one service, but let me give you two final thoughts in your, in your notes. First of all, just a couple of observations. The boy who rebelled came to his senses. Could I just leave you with that? That's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, the young, let me say this, young people, listen up. It says he came to his senses. In fact, notice on the screen, I, I wanted to highlight this. In Luke chapter 15, it says, when he came to himself, he said, I perish with hunger, verse 18. I will arise, I will say, I have sinned. He didn't point to his parents. So before you go home and say, man, dad, I feel so much better about all my rebellion. It's your fault. Realize that you are responsible. And and the boy came to himself. He realized and took personal responsibility for his mistakes and got his life in order. And then number two, while the boy was running around with prostitutes and partying and eating with the pigs, I want you to notice in the story that he had a father at home who loved him and who prayed for him every day and said by his actions, I'm here for you. My love is unconditional. Wow. It's an awesome thing to be a dad, isn't it? And the only way we can know to be a dad and the right kind of dad is by looking at our Heavenly Father who today says to all of us wandering dads, I'm here for you. I forgive you. My love is unconditional. My arms are open wide. And so I want to encourage all of our dads today as we leave the month of June and the emphasis on praying for men and being dads and leaders in our homes, in our community, in our church. I pray that some of these observations and some of what the boys said, we've never done that. That's the first time in 30 years I've ever had them on the platform. That's the first time. So it was really special for me, but I I don't think you can do that until you've been down the road a while and you've made some mistakes and you've done some things right and you put those two together and you just kind of put it out on the table and say, the Capaci family hasn't done it perfect, but we're striving to do it right according to the word of God and following our heavenly father and give him all the glory. Let me pray for you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I love your word. And Lord, you are our father. And there's no father like you, God. I want to thank you for being a father who is forgiving and compassionate. We've rebelled against you often, God. I know that I have. And you've always opened your arms. Father, I pray that every dad here would know how loved they are by their father, their heavenly father. And that, God, we would take what we've learned this month and begin to apply it in our homes for the sake of our children and the next generation. And I pray for our children. Oh, God, I pray for our boys and our girls, our young men, our young women, our young adults and young young lady adults. God, that they would be able to look to us as an example of following you. And, God, may we teach them and train them. But, God, may they also come to a place where they take personal responsibility and step up and be the young men and young women that you've called them to be. I pray, God, for protection as Satan has his fiery darts pointed at all of our homes and our marriages and our children. God, may we be true to your word and may we stand firm on what we believe. And at the same time, God, may we have, Lord, open biblical conversations with our families as we discuss hard things and defend ourselves against the wiles of the wicked one. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never been loved, felt the love of the Father, 
Father, that they today would open their hearts and receive your love. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for everyone in this room, and for making a way for all of us to know your salvation. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never received you, that today would be the day. And God, I pray that you deal with our hearts and may we respond to God, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?